The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, zippity doodah day. It is an absolutely glorious day here in beautiful Albany, Oregon. And, of course, Chris Schroeder is on the other side of the United States. Uh, Chris, what's going on, man? Monty, how is everything out there? It, it, it's great, dude. I just love this new building. I, I got to tell you, we talked about it last week and the week before, but I just can't get over it. God is so good. And... Uh, it's uh, it's just been a really cool thing. So we're planning on an open house here probably in about a month. And just keep doing the deal, man. And just got out of a big book, uh, a, well, really not a big book study, but a big book share kind of thing um, here just a little bit ago. So I'm raring to go, man. <laughs> you know, the big book is a, is a wonderful book. The, the, the first time I read it, I, you know, I, I really... I really didn't get it. Uh, you know, I skimmed through it pretty quickly in a treatment center. And I didn't, you know, what, what happens is almost universally uh, people don't, uh, don't give this its due. In, in other words, they fail to recognize the significance of the answers uh, for their problems that are in this book. Mm. Sometimes it takes a, it takes a, it takes a study. You, you need to... You need to study this book. You you need to go to studies. You you need to be taken through this with uh, with someone who has a lot of experience with it to really get into the depths that are available uh, for you and and the situation and problems that you have in your life. And don't you think that's that that needs to be more than just passing the book from one person to the other, reading and then sharing how it applies to you? A- absolutely, yeah. uh, absolutely. This is a book that uh, it's better taught than to have someone just read it. It's, it's much better to be taught this book, much like any other textbook. Uh, like if you were to go to the store and buy, uh, you know, a, a master's level calculus book and take it home, if you read the book, would you be a master at calculus? Uh, no, <laughs> you, you really need to, you need to go to the classes. It needs to be taught to you by someone who understands it at a deep level uh, so that any questions you have or any things that you don't understand can be uh, uh, can be explained. And we have been through the the dust cover, the forwards, the uh, doctor's opinion, Bill's story, and this week there is a solution. You know, I love this chapter. This is uh, this is chapter two. Uh, I'm reading out of a, a second edition, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, it's been a while since since uh, I've I've said this. I, I don't purport to be any expert in recovery or an expert in alcoholism or an expert in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not even admitting any membership in such a place. But I've, um, you know, I've gained some knowledge and some experience with this book. And, uh, uh, you know, you and I especially don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole or anything like that. But uh, we can share our, our experience uh, with this. And, and, and that's basically what, what we're doing. And this is chapter two, chapter two, there is a solution. We of Alcoholics Anonymous know thousands of men and women who were once just as hopeless as Bill, nearly all have recovered. They have solved the drink problem. Um, You know, one of the the controversies today in the recovery community is, um, you know, recovering, recovered. And you're going to get, you're going to get really good, 
uh, you're going to get really good uh, uh, people who are going to be able to explain their position, and it's going to be a valid position. Someone will be saying, you know, I'm always going to be recovering. And the way they mean it, that's absolutely true. And, and then you're going to hear people uh, announce that they're recovered. And the way they mean it, it's, it's absolutely true also. But there's a, there's a lot of uh, controversy in it. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I explained this in one of the earlier uh, sessions or not, but the way I look at it, and this is my own uh, semantical perspective, is that if you have an illness and you're recovered from the illness, uh, the symptoms are removed. If you have an illness and you're cured of the illness, then the illness itself is removed. Um, as an as an alcoholic, you're uh, you're going to have certain uh, certain problems with uh, with alcoholism that are going to move on, but that doesn't mean that the symptoms can't be removed. Um, there's something I know uh, from from my own personal experience, Monty, and that is I can be 50 years without a drink, and if I pick up a drink, I will be drunk out of my mind that night mm -hmm. because I my liver and my pancreas uh, are at a state. Uh, and they're not going to get better. They're at a state where they metabolize alcohol alcoholically. And that means I get the phenomenon of craving if I ingest it, and I'm going to be in trouble. Right. The other thing that I need to be aware of is uh, that without uh, participation in the maintenance of my spiritual condition, uh, I can lay myself open to a relapse through the mental obsession. And the mental obsession is basically... Uh, the strange mental blank spot, the subtle form of insanity that precedes the first drink. There are so many alcoholics out there that drink. And, you know, uh, people that don't understand this, this illness basically can't believe it. You, you know it's bad for you. Why are you doing it? You know, uh, you know why, are, why is it that every day you, you start drinking again? Don't you know that this is causing you problems? And it's because of the obsession of the mind. Uh, it's, it's an overriding thought that uh, a drink would be a good thing right now, even though it's probably the worst thing right now. And it's, it's something that at certain points in the alcoholic's life, they, they, can't, they can't fight. It's, it's bigger than they are. And that's one of the things that really is misunderstood about alcoholism. Why don't we just hitch up our bootstraps? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we are average Americans. All sections of the country and many of its occupations are represented, as well as many political, economic, social, and religious backgrounds. We are people who normally would not mix. Oh, boy, isn't that true. Yep. Uh, but there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck, when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement that binds us. Uh, but that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. Uh, Monty, did you see the movie um, Titanic years yes. ago when it came out? Yes. Okay. You remember that movie uh, that uh, the the two the two co-stars of that movie? One was a woman that came from the real the upper echelons of society. Yeah. I mean, she had that big diamond that was about the size of a football. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was she was from the abs absolute aristocracy. And she fell in love with a guy who was down in steerage, and this caused a lot of problems. Right, right. Those two people do not mix, and the families got involved, and they have to they had to run around and hide. Uh, you know, the same the same type of thing can happen in the twelve step fellowships. Uh, but but once you've recognized you're in a problem, once you're getting in the lifeboat, everybody is equal. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll you'll uh, you know you'll be in a meeting or something, and and you know a, a, a doctor will come in. You know, he'll be new and he'll start start talking, and some some plumber from the back of the room will go, "Shut up! You don't know nothing." You right, know? right. And, and the doctor doesn't. You know, it's it's hysterical, but uh, but there are no class distinctions in uh, in the in the fellowship. Is basically what it's saying in this book, and I think uh, I think that's true, except in some areas where there might be bad meanings. Mm -hmm. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common 
solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. Again, we have a common solution. The common solution are the 12 steps and the spiritual principles in this book. And if they are uh, applied correctly, you know, we can join in brotherly uh, and harmonious action, and we can be what he describes as recovered alcoholics. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. An illness of this sort, and we have come to believe it in illness, involves those about us in, way, in a way no other human sickness can. You know, an illness. Uh, this, this book basically describes uh, alcoholism as an illness. Uh, I think around 1956 or so, the American Medical Society uh, declared that alcoholism and drug addiction could be considered diseases. Right. Now, there's still some controversy. I, I mean, I'll tell you what, you know, my personal opinion, if the, the American Medical Society is okay with calling it a disease, I am too. Yep. Uh, but a lot of times I don't refer to it as such because there's still some controversy. There was a, there was a book written called The Diseasing of America that really, really took... Uh, uh, took addiction, calling addictions disease to task. And I'm not saying that that book is right. I'm just saying that there's still a lot of controversy involved with it. Um, if a person has cancer, all are sorry for him, and no one is angry or hurt. But not so with the alcoholic illness. For with it, uh, there goes annihilation of all the things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents, anyone can increase the list. And truly, you know, it, let's, let's just take the American Medical Society, for instance. Alcoholism is a disease. Very few people are going to look at it that way. There's an amazing amount of stigma that still revolves around alcoholism and drug addiction. They're doing it to themselves. You know, why don't they just stop? Now, again, you know, if someone was angry and resentful and knocking over tables and, you know, because, because their cancer was at a very advanced stage, they're usually going to get treated differently than an alcoholic in advanced stages where they do the same things. And that's really unfortunate. You know, if you're going to call it a disease... Uh, let's promote treating it like one. And it, it, that's just not uh, what happens out there in the world, unfortunately. We hope this volume will inform and comfort those who are or who may be afflicted. There are many. Highly competent psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss his situation without reserve. Strangely enough, wives, parents, and intimate friends usually find us even more unapproachable uh, than do the psychiatrist and the doctor. It's funny, as a whole, you know, and I know a lot of alcoholics that are in recovery. As a whole, we paid thousands of dollars to psychiatrists and counselors, and we lied to them about what was really going on, and we didn't even give them a, a reasonable opportunity to help us. I, I love it. I love it. I think about uh, the television series House, and uh, Dr. House always says, everybody lies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's true. Uh, he watches He watches for, uh, for results, and he watches behaviors. Yeah. Uh, he tries not to listen to people. And uh, again, you know... Um, um, it's it's really it really is amazing. I mean, we wanted help so bad, but we but we interfered and sabotaged it in every way we could. You know, it's it's a really unorthodox illness. Yeah. Now, when they when they go to squiggly font, it's like hyphenated font. Uh, I believe that that's when Bill Wilson wanted us to really pay attention. So this next paragraph is in hyphenated font, which means important. Okay. Okay. But the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with the facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. Now, what if that paragraph is true? What, what if, an al if an alcoholic doesn't relate to another alcoholic who's actually recovered? What if 
nothing can be accomplished. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, you know, that's an that's an important statement that he makes. Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you from my from my uh, my own experience. I, there was no one that could talk to me about my drinking. No, I believe that no one could possibly understand the dark, complicated situation and emotional state that I was in toward the end of my drinking. It's just, you know, I had to be so different. My case had to be so different. I had to be so unique. I mean, that that my whole my whole persona was was crying that to the rooftops that the first person that was able to get through to me at any level was a counselor who was himself in long-term recovery named Charlie. And he just sat down, he could, here's the way it is, you know. And it was the <laughs> first person that ever pinned me to the wall, you know. And and I believe that this, that this statement is true. I, I believe that there are a lot of well-meaning family and friends. I believe that there's a lot of well-meaning clergymen. You know, uh, uh, you know I, I know there are a lot of people out there that if they could help us, they would. But the fact of the matter is, is... Uh, uh, an alcoholic in recovery understands exactly what we're going through. They've been there, and they can talk about being there, and then they can talk about what it's like to not be there. Right. Uh, I've recovered from this, and you don't need to be suffering like this. And they can get through to us uh, at a level other people can't. Mm-hmm. That the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty, alcoholism, that he obviously knows what he's talking about, that his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect that he is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing whatever except the sincere desire to be helpful, that there are no dues to fe- to dues, uh, fees to pay, no access to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are the conditions we have found most effective. After such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. And that term, taking up your bed, that was an old term for, you know, when you stopped being sick, you got out of bed and they changed all your sheets. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's taking up your bed and, and walking again. Uh, uh, th- this is kind of a description about how best uh, to approach someone uh, who who is suffering from alcoholism when you've when you've yourself have, have recovered and and it's true you know there are ways to do it and there are, that are that are uh, beneficial and there's there's ways to to screw it up um, there, there was a there was a person I, I was um, I was alerted to the other day that was in the emergency room at a local hospital and I, I got the call I get these calls all the time and uh, and what it was was this individual was in there, and they actually seized on the uh, on the medical floor. Now, um, a, a lot of times hospitals treat your symptomology. You know, they'll they'll, they'll put you on uh, anticonvulsants. Mm-hmm. They put you on benzos to help you detox. But they're not in there to promote recovery from alcoholism. That's not what they do. But I was alerted by one of the medical staff that that there was someone on the floor. So basically what I did is I did it old school, Monty. You know, right out of this book, we, we started sending people in one at a time to go in and tell their stories. This is the way Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson used to do, do it. They used to put you in a hospital and then send in the boys. And, you know, every hour on the hour, you know, you send in somebody to tell their story. Not to tell somebody you got to, you know, you got to shape up. You know, not that. They basically go in and they tell their story about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And, you know, we, we've done this uh, We've done this several times. I remember one time where about 15 people had gone in to see this one guy. Finally, he goes, okay, okay, you guys can stop coming in, you know. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> and, uh, and he ended up uh, getting, in, getting into recovery. You know, and, and that's, that's basically how they did it. And you have to do it. You have to place yourself in a position like, like you would like someone coming to you. You don't want to go in there with an attitude or an ego or anything. You need to go in there basically just just to be helpful and, mm-hmm. and it's helpful for you too i mean you know if you if you're in recovery from alcoholism it is helpful uh to carry the message to other people certainly this book uh, is is pointing that out 
None of us makes a sole vocation of this work, nor do we think its effectiveness would be increased if we did. We feel that elimination from our drinking is but a beginning. There we go. That is an important line. We feel that the elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. You know, Monty, I don't have a, I don't have a drinking problem. I haven't had a drinking, a drinking almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Okay? I, I, at times I have a sobriety problem. I'll describe, I'll describe it like, like this. Uh, back in the last three or four years of my drinking, I would get off of work. I would get in my car and I would fly to the liquor store and I, you know, I'd grab the bottle and I'd get up to get it rung, you know, have the, have it rung up. And, you know, as I was walking out to the car with my bottle, I'd start to feel a a sigh of relief. Now, now I might as well have gone up uh, to the clerk at the liquor store and said, clerk, clerk, hurry up. I've got a real problem here. I've got a problem. I'm sober. you got to help me out. Hurry up, hurry up. Ring this thing up! Ring it up! You know, get rid of this old lady in front of me! I, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm in a hurry here. I'm sober. You know, I mean, now, now think about it. Do I have a, a drinking problem? No, the, the <laughs> no. drink is my very bad solution to my alcoholism. The alcoholism is that 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 unbelievable uncomfortability, the lack of being able to deal, restlessness, irritable, discontented, depressed, anxious, resentful, remorseful. I mean, I mean you know, I'm overburdened with this sobriety. I got to get my bottle. You know? I mean, I have, a, I have a sobriety problem. So when it, when it says that we feel that the elimination of our drinking is but a beginning, I understand what that means. You pull away my booze, and now it's time to start to get to work on learning how to be sober and be okay, too. You know, there's a lot of people out there who think, you know, I just don't drink no matter what, you know. And they're cranky, and they're still suffering like crazy from alcoholism, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, they're, they're so dry that, that they're a fire hazard. And, and that's not the point of this whole thing. We're, you know, we're not supposed to just hang on by our fingernails to sobriety. We're, we're supposed to get to a place of freedom. We're supposed to get to a place of recovery where we're not tortured by that emotional, spiritual, and psychic, you know, uh, a burden. Uh, the way we were when we were drinking. Yeah, yeah. A, a much more important demonstration of our <clears throat> principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. All of us spend much of our spare time in the sort of effort which we are going to describe. M- much of our spare time. So if you're an alcoholic and you're relapsing, I'll ask you this question. Do you spend much of your spare time trying to help other people? Because if you don't, maybe you're not supposed to get sober. A few are fortunate enough to be so situated that they can give nearly all of their time to this work. Uh, Monty, you and I are, are pretty close to that kind of a situation, and we should be very lucky about it. You know, yes, we, we are. A lot of our times in different ways trying to help the still sick and suffering. Mm-hmm. And we're the lucky ones, I think. Yes, we are. We are very fortunate. If we keep on the way we are going, there is little doubt that much good will result, but the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. Those of us who live in large cities are overcome by the reflection that close by hundreds are dropping into oblivion every day. Many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. How then shall we present that which has been so freely given to us? And I'll add, by the Osher group. We have concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it, that's basically the next couple of chapters. We shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge. This should suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with a drinking problem. There is a program of recovery in this book. And to this day, um, Alcoholics Anonymous has never uh, uh, published another manual for recovery. There's living sober, and there's the 12 steps and 12 traditions, and those can be helpful at certain times in a person's, uh, uh, a per- as a person is getting sober and uh, in the process of recovery. But the program is in this book. Uh, you know, so it's, it's very, very important that everything starts here. You know, uh, okay. the 12 yeah. and 12 is, 
uh, is a supplemental volume to this volume. It's not. It was never published as a way to to not have to deal with this book. You need to start uh, start with uh, with this book. Of necessity, there will have to be discussion of matters medical, psychiatric, social, and religious. We are aware that these matters are, from their very nature, controversial. Nothing would please us so much as to write a book which would contain no basis for contention or argument. We shall do our utmost to achieve that ideal. Most of us sense that real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and a respect for their opinions are attitudes which make us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depends on our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. Here's another sentence I'm going to read for the people who are relapsing. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend on our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. If you're relapsing like crazy, if you're in and out of, uh, of, uh, of support groups, I might say that are, are your thoughts constantly on others and how you may help meet their needs, or are you stuck in self-pity and only worrying about you? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, um, because I think long-term recovery has to include constant thought of others and how you may help meet their needs. This is not uh, this is you know this is not the most uh, um, a politically correct thing to say, I suppose around uh, the recovery community, uh, but it but it's important. I found that it's extremely important in my life. You know when I'm really trying to be of help to others, my problems are, don't even exist. You know I'm worrying about other people, so it really is important to uh, uh, to as soon as you possibly can try to start helping other people however you can do that and, and I, I would add too that that if I were left with uh, just two choices uh, going to meetings or helping other people uh, I would have to say if I'm just going to meetings I, I'm probably going to drink again if I'm helping other people and there's no meetings available I have a good chance of staying sober you know Monty some so many people today believe that uh, uh, that meetings uh, are treatment for your alcoholism Meetings are not treatment for your alcoholism. Meetings are a place to find people to help for your uh, uh, to help your recovery program. But meetings do not treat alcoholism. The twelve steps treat alcoholism, and that's a misunderstanding that kills you know probably ten thousand people a year. Yeah, I, I swear. It, you know, it, it is really a, a, a deadly misunderstanding. It's a killing thing. That thought that meetings treat alcoholism. I believe that, you know, if, if you have a, a consistent amount of meetings that you're going to in whatever uh, support group you go to, that that can help your serenity level. Uh, but meetings are a place to find people to help that's, that's, and to share your experience, strength, and hope. That, that's what they're for. You don't go there like they're a filling station, you know. Oh, I had a terrible week, so I doubled up on my meetings. That you know, a statement like that makes no sense to me because that's <laughs> not what not what this book tells you to do. If you read it in Doctor Bob and the Good Old Timers, uh, he basically says uh, meetings were optional. You know, your work with others and your prayer and meditation was essential. Meetings were optional. Uh, it's it's turned around today, and, and and I think that there's a lot of people who become meeting dependent. Uh, and never really achieve recovery from alcoholism because they don't address the step. Yeah. And that's, that said, it is the purpose... Uh, oh, um, okay, you may already ask yourself why it is that all of us have become so very ill from drinking. Doubtless you are curious to discover how and why, in the face of expert opinion to the contrary, we have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. If you're an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may already be asking, what do I have to do? It is the purpose of this book to answer such, such questions specifically. So the purpose for this book is to answer specifically what do you need to do to get over your drinking. We shall tell you what we have done. Before going to, into a detailed discussion, it may be well to summarize some points as we see them. How many times have people said to us, I can take it or leave it alone, why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. 
He could stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl, I should think he'd stop for her sake. <laughs> told him that if he ever drank again, it would kill him, but there he is all lit up again. Again, we hear this all the time. He says, now these are commonplace observations on drinkers, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. Okay, the alcoholic is different than the non-alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You know, alcoholism is aggressive and it's all-encompassing. And it is almost entirely misunderstood by, by people because it's so unorthodox. Many people can, can there's, there's hard drinkers out there, Monty, who get lit up and crash cars and get DUIs and get arrested. But if they have a sufficient desire to stop drinking or to moderate, they can. The alcoholic can't. There are certain times where the alcoholic cannot make a decision to give this thing up and have it count for anything. You know, and, and uh, uh, they're, they're the, the low-bottom chronic real alcoholic that this book talks about. They're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And, uh, and no, matter, no matter how many, pe- you know, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. We heard that in, in the doctor's opinion. You know, you know, people telling you that you should quit is just not an adequate defense against, uh, against alcoholism. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. That's a moderate drinker. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. Okay, so the hard drinker, it can really start to cause trouble in his life. life. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop and moderate, although he might may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. Okay, that's the heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. But what about the real alcoholic? Now, another thing that people don't like to hear today is when someone says, I'm a real alcoholic, or they talk about the heavy drinkers that, are in, that, that might end up in the support groups. That, that's not something... That's, uh, that's well received today. But Bill thought it incredibly important to describe the difference between a heavy drinker, a moderate drinker, and a real alcoholic. Because the recovery, the recovery from that problem could be different. If you could just stop or moderate and, and have no problem, you know, that's, that's all well and fine. But if, you, if you're sicker, than uh, than the moderate drinker. If you, if if you've if you've gone down the scale far enough, you're in a lot more trouble, and you can't just quit like a moderate drinker or a heavy drinker. You need a complete transformational spiritual awakening, add depth, personality change, or you're you're you're, you're not going to make it. You know. So he thought it's very very important to dis- to to show the differences between those types. Chris. Uh... Do you think, and I tend to think, that there are a lot of hard drinkers going to 12-step fellowships uh, seeking help? Um, I just think, I think there probably is a lot. Don't you think? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain of it. Now, um, you know, the only people that will get mad at hearing that are the people who aren't really sure they're real alcoholics. But, but, uh, but here's the deal. In... in uh, in step one in the 12 and 12, Bill's talking about step one. And he's describing all of a sudden in meetings, people started to flood in, and they, they were barely potential alcoholics. They hadn't felt the nip of the ringer yet. They weren't as bad as we founding members, basically, is what he was saying. And the decision was made back then, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, and, and the decision, for, for good or for bad, was to open the doors wide to anyone with an alcohol history. With an a, a prop, you know, with alcohol history that included problems. All right, the only desire, the only membership uh, requirement is desire to stop drinking. I think that was a correct decision, because if we can save people ten or twenty or or, or thirty years uh, of of uh, of escalating chronic alcoholism, you know, if we can save them that pain, 
you know, uh, by opening the doors, I think, you know, it's probably a good idea that they do. Um, but it, 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 but there, are, uh, there are a lot of people who don't necessarily need to undergo this spiritual recovery process that show up in the support fellowships. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, not, they're not that sick. And they can do. They can just go to meetings, and they're they're going to be fine. And and they don't under, even understand that they're not the real alcoholic. That they're a heavy drinker. They they have, you know. If and if you brought that to their attention, they would get really mad at you. But but yes, I believe that we have not only not only well maybe not so many moderate drinkers, but probably uh, uh, certainly hard drinkers uh, show up because Bill was talking about it in 1949 when he wrote the step book. So, uh, so yes, uh, of of course there is. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Um, I I think it's I, I don't think it's a, a bad thing, uh, unless the real alcoholic uh, is trying to get sponsored by the heavy drinker. Then the heavy drinker might say, "Well, you know, I just gave it up, kid. You know, you you just put the plug in the jug. You know, and uh, and then the, the the real alcoholic will die because they're not exposed to." Uh, a strong enough uh, recovery experience. Yeah, so right. There's good and there's bad in it. I, I, I think I think uh, I think the the, the big book uh, uh, movement, uh, as it's as it's being called around the world, and uh, it's been being very maligned in certain in some countries. Um, there's one country in Europe that issued a statement from their general service office saying the big book movement, so prevalent in America, should be considered by our members to be outside the scope of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, can, can, can you imagine the people who are sharing from the big bug uh, uh, should be outside of the scope uh, of, of alcohol? <laughs> <I>, okay, <laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah, uh, you know, it's only the basic text of, of the fellowship, right? But but you know, there's 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 you know, uh, there's a lot of different uh, a lot of different people uh, that that hit hit the meetings. There, there there's there's room for diversity. There it's broad, roomy, and all inclusive. And uh, you know we should try to stay out of controversy. I, I think I think if we're if we're the real alcoholic and we found a recovery uh, through uh, application of the principles in this book, then that's what we should share to people, and we should try to spot them. And if we can spot an alcoholic who's in real trouble, let you know let's let let's us take responsibility, get in their face, and you know try to share our experience with them and get them hooked. You know, on the recovery process in, in this book, and you know that'll that'll solve the problem. Yeah, yeah, good um, idea. But what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. This is an earmark of a, a real alcoholic. If you can have four or five 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 beers and go home and say, I've had enough, you are not an alcoholic, okay? The alco- the real alcoholic gets to a point in his drinking career where he loses all control of his Lincoln liquor consumption once he starts to drink, and that's because of the phenomenon of craving. Um, I My personal experience is in the last 10 years of my drinking money, uh, I had to be stopped by unconsciousness, police or complete unavailability. If I could get to a drink while I was drinking, I would until I became unconscious. You know, that was, that's my history. Now, not everybody is, is that chronic, but that's my, my experience. I, you know, uh, I, I would just be, I drink until I passed out, like, like practically every night. Mm. Here is the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk. His, dis- his, his uh, disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly, even dangerously, antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, 
but in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes, and has a promising career ahead of him. I like that, a, a promising career ahead of you. Um, I had, a, I had a, a promising career behind me. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself, and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless uh, series of sprees. He is the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around, yet early the next morning he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the toilet. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedatives and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. Uh, mine was Xanax. <laughs> that was my high-powered sedative. <laughs> Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some sedative with which to taper off. Then he, be then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums, rehabs and detoxes. Now that's a picture of the real alcoholic money. That's not the picture of the typical person who's showing up in the support groups. Mm -hmm. Okay, most people are not that bad anymore, so in answer to your question, and that's good. The great news about this book is, if you're this bad, there's a solution for you in this book. So would this solution apply to people who are not that bad? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's good news. And again, not I'd say maybe 10% of the people that show up uh, in support groups are, are could, would fit this description of the chronic, real alcoholic. And you know, you know, Chris, really, when you think about it, there are so many people who are spiritually bankrupt that aren't alcoholics. They probably ought to be in there anyway. Yeah. Well, again, you know, um, it's become uh, it's become uh, you know uh, a. a a, a cool thing sometimes to show up in uh, support group meetings because so many of the stars do. And everything. yeah, but uh, but uh, again, the, the the doors have to be so wide open that that you can help everybody. You just need to keep your eye on the ball. Like like if if there is somebody who's chronically relapsing and they're really trying, somebody needs to get with them and offer them a solution of depth and weight. Mm -hmm. that, that that's what really needs to happen. You know, you don't, you don't need to be yelling at everybody in the meeting, telling them that, you know, they don't know what they're doing or causing trouble or, you know, it's a big bug, it's a big bug. You know, uh, you, can, you can really uh, cause a, a problem by, by acting holier than thou. So uh, tact and common sense have, have, to, be, have to be used when, when dealing with anybody, I think. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic, as our behavior patterns vary, but this description should identify him roughly. Why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant sufferings and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Perhaps there never will uh, be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why, once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol whatever into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. Uh, these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. The top of page 23, we shift. And uh, you know, I'm going to stop reading for tonight here because of this shift. Okay. They're basically talking uh, about the... Um, the allergy of the body, the, the, the phenomenon of craving. But they shift at the top of page 23, and they start talking about the mental obsession. What is it that, that makes it so difficult for the alcoholic, even, if he, even knowing as much as he knows about how horrible alcohol is, is killing him, why does he continue to drink? 
And I think that there, there, there's there's a really a really really strong information in here about why that happens and what needs to happen for the person to move away from uh, the type of thought patterns that, that lead one back uh, to the first string. Monty, what are some of the things that that you identified uh, with uh, in the first part of there is a solution? Well, <laughs> the uh the 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 signs uh the earmarks of the real alcoholic when when you were reading uh the uh all the stuff that he does you know this concealing liquor i i didn't conceal liquor around the house i can i concealed it outside <laughs> <laughs> okay you must not be an alcoholic yeah right but but i did i had it in bushes and everything else um and i snuck it everywhere i had it when i was in high school i i put it in other containers uh, I'd go to the movies and I'd make, put rum and coke in, uh, you know, what do they call big gulp things, you know. Um, uh, the quieting of my nerves, you know, um, I didn't take sedatives, but I used the, the alcohol to quiet quiet my nerves. And uh, I never went to a, a well, no, I got to take that back. I did, I sat out in front of a hospital one time um, thinking and trying to get up enough nerve to go in and have them cure me. And <laughs> I figured if I just sat out there, some somebody would walk by the car and say, well, you know, you need to come in and we'll cure you. I don't know what got me thinking about that. Uh, but the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, oh, man, that probably stands out to me more than anything else. Because the things I were told was told that I did during blackouts and it got to my drinking got so severe that even my drinking buddies didn't want anything to do with me. They said, you, uh, you're a different, totally a different person. You are just incredibly uh, difficult to get along with. And, you know, I would look in the mirror after, um, you know, after a couple hours of dealing with a hangover, and I was so disgusted with who I'd had become. But there were other days, you know, like I would go through uh, several weeks if I had uh, some stuff coming up with, uh, my job, I was in higher management retail for a long time, um, I, where I wouldn't drink. And I was the nicest guy in the world. But as soon as that seminar was over or whatever it was over, I'd get in the car and on the way home, I'd hit the liquor store. And I became this, this monster again. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde's right on the money. You know, I think Robert Louis Stevenson, when he wrote that book, I, I really think he, he had alcoholic tendencies. Because if you if you relate, you know the changes, uh, you know in uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde after drinking that potion, right? You know it really relates quite well to what happens with uh, with the chronic alcoholic. I, I became incredibly violent uh, toward the end of my drinking. I, I would threaten people's lives, and uh, you know I, 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 and then I would be horrified the next day finding out what I had done. Mm -hmm. And that's much like the story, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He was horrified about how he had behaved and what he had done. And I think this is something that absolutely tortures the alcoholic and creates even more drinking because the only, the only thing that can help you get past those feelings of shame and remorse sometimes are, are to get drunk again, you know, so it's just, it's this terrible cycle that you get caught up in. Yeah, and Dr. Jekyll would start this. I often wondered, why is he doing that again? <laughs> and finally, he was lost to it. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, most, most alcoholics die drunk, you know, they, yeah. they get lost to it. So that's a very prophetic um, uh, story. Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. uh, I've I've just recently watched a lot of the earlier, you know, the Spencer Tracy, and then uh, the one even before that. Uh, just just out of curiosity, somebody gave me some copies of those early Jekyll and Hyde uh, movies, and you know, it, it's <laughs> that was my life, <laughs> like in the late '80s. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it, well, it's not real modern, but in modern terms, you could look at uh, uh, that Jerry Lewis film. Um, I can't remember it now, uh, where he was just a he was just a, a nerd kind of a guy, and then he would uh, oh the Nutty Professor I think it was called sure sure yeah yeah and then he became this suave debonair person to try and impress everybody, but when it all came down to it and he was found out he was 
he was just a product of shame. Yeah, I think there's, you know, every every five minutes, uh, some very, very well-meaning professional will come up with, like, you know, uh, uh, a, a clinical model or, or something that, you know, alcoholism is a shame-based illness or, you know, it revolves around, you know, you know deep childhood trauma. And a lot of these things are, are, are actually true. Uh, what, and, and a lot of these therapeutics are actually helpful. But what, uh, what everyone, uh, everyone needs to realize is the recovery model that has shown the most success for the most people is the recovery model inherent in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yep. Uh, you know, there, there are certainly lots of success stories, and there's lots of pills, and there's, you know, there's lots of courses you can take, and all of those things can be good. Uh, but, if, uh, but if you're a gambling man, <laughs> you really want a sure thing. Uh, you, you best be betting on uh, the 12-step model. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Another great, uh, another great show. Digging into this, uh, this wonderful book, this wonderful textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, looking at the first part of the chapter, there is a solution. Next week, uh, we'll be going into the second part. Correct? Yes, absolutely. Yep. We're going to finish it up. And uh, it's it's so it's so cool that there is a solution. I mean, we we could have written a book on all the terrible things that alcoholism does. And it's a warning to young people. This will happen, that will happen, this will happen. And many people would have been satisfied with that, parents and that kind of thing. But this book gives us a way, uh, a way of freedom. This book gives us a way to live victoriously over alcoholism and, uh, and a maintenance program to do so. And I think that's what makes uh, the big book of AA uh, really a unique piece of literature. I agree. Yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Well, Monty, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, I, I, I love being a part of your show. Thank you, my friend. Chris Schroeder with us once again. Until our next broadcast, my friends, part two of There is a Solution. This is the Monty Man and Chris, and we are wishing God's serenity for you as once again we walk through the big book. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>